Good morning on this wonderful, beautiful Sunday morning. We're so glad you're here with us. Um, get ready because we've got a good word coming. It's a good word. But before we head into worship, would you just take a moment to greet each other online, say your good morning, say hello to one another on the chats. And also we have uh, one of our pastors on staff's birthdays today. So make sure you give a huge birthday shout out to Nakia. Happy birthday. <laughs> we love you. Um, so enjoy. Do you remember math in high school? <laughs> I don't like to. Math in high school. There was always like that one teacher. Like you know who I'm, who I'm thinking of, who I'm talking about. That one teacher, right? There is like one week left in school and he is so passionate about math and so passionate about pinomials and quadratic polymers and all the other, I'm just making up words right now, but I'm sure they exist, That's you know? That's how it sounded like. <laughs> yeah, all the X's were right there. Like there was that one teacher, right? All the other teachers were wheeling in that cart with a strap down TV and they'd pop in the same movie every single time and you liked it, but not that one math teacher. He wanted you to learn to the last <laughs> day, the last ounce of school in high school, right? That one math teacher. And I remember, I've told this story before, sitting in math class, Oregon, and I'm sitting in my seat in this one particular class was in the back right. And I was next to the windows and I had control over the windows. And in our school, it was like these massive windows you crank and then lower, right? So the rain wouldn't get into the room. And so I remember sitting there and it was a perfect day. Like no clouds. It was essentially Ventura, but in Oregon, like on one day, right? And it was always cloudy, always rainy, always misty, but this one day was perfect. And we were enduring math class, I think one week before school's out. And we're sitting there and I'm just staring forward like, are you serious? <laughs> like grades are in, there is no test. Like right now, we just have to learn for the sake of learning right now. And I remember hearing a psst, 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 and I was like, I just look over to my left and a guy is like trying to hand me his backpack. And, he, and so I take his backpack and I'm kind of lost. I don't, I'm like, what do I do with your backpack? And he's like, throw it out the window. And so the teacher's like writing on the blackboard, turning back to us, writing again. And, and then I just throw it out the window. Like, I'll do whatever you want, man. <laughs> like, I'll throw your backpack out the window. And then the teacher is going and he starts writing a long formula up. And my buddy crawls across the desks and then jumps out the window, grabs his backpack, and just runs. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, Did, that was real, right? Like, I couldn't have been the only one that saw that just happen. Like, that wasn't my inner self escaping out of this math class. That was a genuine person jumping through a giant window and running to freedom to enjoy the sunlight in Oregon, right? And I kept thinking about that that story in preparing for this, this message. The message title is Hope is in Session. Hope is in Session. And I was thinking about this. Hope is in Session. The definition of session has a couple different meanings, but the one I want to focus on is class is in session, right? It's, it's, it's a session as in you're going to a place to learn. And I, I want to really dive into um, things that God, there's different lessons we can take, life lessons that happen, different sessions, if you will, where we can glean how to find hope and deepen our faith and our walk with God. And I want to talk about these sessions. And we kind of have this choice, right? Can either be like me, 
and sit in the chair and just stay where you're supposed to stay and pay attention and take from it what you're supposed to be like, right? And I didn't mean to be the hero in the example of the story. Or you can be like the one kid that's like, I'm out of here. There's better stuff. The grass is greener on the other side and ditch the session that you're supposed to be attending. See, in life, there's lots of tests, trials, tribulations, all kinds of things happen. And the real question is, are we going to learn from it or run from it? Class is in, in session. And, and I want to look at, in particular, uh, the book of Job. We're going to be in uh, Job chapter 1 primarily today. And we're, we're going to hop around a little bit. But Job chapter 1, this is a man that went through crazy life lessons, right? And it was, what did he take from it? Did he grab hope or did he try to run and hide? Did he try to give up all, all this? Now, I want to look at, in particular, what are we learning when life happens? I want to flip tests and situations into classroom sessions, if you will. Do you know how much better life becomes mentally when you, when you stop looking at tests and trials as if obstacles are out to get you and, mm-hmm. and all these things are supposed to happen and you flip them and go, how can I learn from this, God? What can I, what can I learn from your word, your greatness, your righteousness, your magic? Oh, like, what can I take, God? How can I improve my life right now? And there's something that just happens, something that triggers inside of our minds that we just flip situations they really are trying to wear us down and we flip them over to opportunities. Something happens. So I want to challenge you. Don't be the kid that jumps out of the window of life, but be the kid that stays put. Even if you, if it feels like math one week before school's out, there is no test left. There's something to learn in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Ultimately, ultimately the enemy wants to steal, kill and destroy according to John chapter 10, verse 10. But we want to jump into the book of Job today to look at three different sessions, if you will. Three different classes, three different sessions. Oppression, recession, and depression. These are the three sessions we're going to look at and how to find hope in the middle of those. Hope when oppression happens, when it feels like the enemy is pressing down on us. Hope during recession, when it feels like things are just pulled and yanked away. And hope during depression, when we're mentally just spiraling down. How do, we, how do we take those as lessons from God to grow our hope? Right? It says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the, the irony of it is, the enemy tried doing that to Jesus. But then Jesus just came back. And I, I bet that frustrated the enemy. Right? If I was in the enemy's shoes and I'm like, I finally killed the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who I knew in heaven since the beginning of time, he's dead. And then he comes back out and it's like, ah, foiled again, you know? Like, that'd be so agonizing and frustrating to the enemy, so much so that he stops trying to kill Jesus, because that failed, that he comes after us. Mm. And what do we do in those situations, in those circumstances, in those sessions, if you will, to turn them back around on the enemy? How do we find hope? Because I don't think this world is really intended for us to just get beat down over and over and over. And the world is not supposed to be our 
bully and we're the victim. Mm-hmm. The God calls us victors and in victory we stand and, mm-hmm. and we need to change those things around. We need to turn them around. See, we, this whole sermon series, which is I think our longest running sermon series, maybe, someone will have to count it out, but I'm pretty sure it's the longest running sermon series you've had so far. Can't cancel hope. You can't cancel it. Just like how the enemy tried to cancel Jesus and kill him, he couldn't cancel it because Jesus came back. The Bible describes hope is Jesus. He's the anchor for our soul. So how do we have hope through all of these situations? Let's, let's dive in this today. Number one, hope is in oppression. Hope is in oppression. This sounds like the bleakest point title I've ever spoken on. Hope is in oppression. Man, don't you love finding hope when being oppressed? No, that's, that's agonizing. That's hurtful. But we need to do it because we can find ourselves there. Mm-hmm. Hope is in oppression. So jumping in chapter one of Job, verse six. I hope you're there. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that the flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Does Job fear God for nothing? Does Job fear God for nothing? Meaning, is Job's hope tied to the blessings or the blesser? Mm. See, Satan wants to find out something. He wants to identify If your hope is on stuff, things, people, or is it on God? And Satan has this theory, right? If bad things happen to good people, will they turn on God and accuse him? I think it's kind of crazy that in this Old Testament book written however many years ago, I don't have the number in front of me right now, Satan came up with this thought, will bad things happen to good people? Do bad, do bad things happen to good people? And then what's the response? I've heard that same statement throughout my entire life. You know, people saying, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does bad things happen to me? Why do I'm a good person? Why do bad things? And I think it's kind of strange and peculiar that this phrase existed coming out of the mouth of Satan himself, however many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that question was rolling around. And, and Satan wanted to apply pressure 
over Job with this exact statement. And the same statement has echoed throughout time for the accuser, Satan, the devil, to try and fly over us. Because he's trying to do something very sneaky here. He's really trying to get under our skin on this one. Because he ultimately wants us to accuse God of the bad things that happen. But why, why would he do that? Why does he care so much? Why does Satan care if bad things happen to good people? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the devil, I wrote this down, has a three-step program to getting people to lose hope during oppression. Step one. Satan tries to move hope from God to stuff. It's very sneaky. It's very subtle. See, the devil really wants your hope, which is Jesus, to be taken off of Jesus and applied to things. My hope is in my job. My hope is that I make enough money to support and do this. And my hope is in my retirement. My hope is in my 401k. My hope is in, it is in my relationship, my friends, my family. Well, some of them are great and good things. Satan is trying to trick us and deceive our own hope and, and misalign and misplace our hope. Because hope placed on anything but Jesus is set up for failure. So Satan, he sits there and says, why does, why does bad things happen to good people? And then we take our eyes off of Jesus and onto things all around us, our situations, our predicaments, the good things, the bad things, and we place hope on this, and, and we try to make those our, our fortress or our foundation, and we try to build our life on these things. Right? Have you ever been in the, in the boat where, well, whenever something happens, I need to call this one friend and they'll set me straight? Yeah, that's dangerous. Well, it is good to do life together if your only source of hope and alignment is a person and not Jesus plus the wisdom of counsel and people in your life that are also grounded on Jesus, that's when we get in trouble. That's when it gets dangerous. So step one of the devil trying to steal our hope in oppression is get our hope off of Jesus and onto anything else. Step two is wait for that stuff to fail. Step one is taking your hope off of Jesus. And step two is just sitting around like this, you know, the Maytag guy who just sits there and is just like doing his fingers back and just waiting. He's like, I just need to wait you out because he knows the truth. Anything other than Jesus will fail. Mm -hmm. Anything other than Jesus will fail. This is why so many believers get so hurt internally because they have placed a pastor where Jesus should be. Yeah. This is why so many people get hurt and frustrated and leave churches because they put the, the pastor on this pedestal and they're like, only that man is Jesus. And it's like, whoa, I'm talking as me right now. I will let you down, okay? Please do not put me on the same pedestal as Jesus. We're all in this together and we're all running towards Jesus who is our only hope. I do not belong on your pedestal, okay? Our hope belongs on Jesus. The second step of Satan trying to steal our hope away in oppression 
is waiting for whatever you have placed your hope on to fail. And it will fail. And he knows it. Mm-hmm. Step three. You ready? This is, this is where it all comes in. Get your Step one, get your hope off of Jesus and onto anything else. Step two, wait for it to fail. Step three, try to convince you to accuse God for stuff failing. Right, well, this broke. God, why did you let this break? God, why did you let this happen? Why'd you? Whoa, because your hope is misaligned. And the enemy loves that. Loves that our hope is on anything but Jesus. If he can get our hope off of Jesus and onto anything else, it will fail. And when it fails, he wants to swoop in and whisper and say, look how it failed. You better blame God on that one. I thought he was all supposed to be good and loving and caring and he's supposed to take care of your stuff. And I was like, yeah. Why does bad things happen to good people? It's this like infection that we can get. Right? And it's this crazy sidetrack that happens. Hope is in oppression by placing our hope correctly. When we are oppressed, the only way to have hope is by placing that hope correctly. The only thing that belongs to hold our hope is Jesus. He is the only one on the pedestal. He is the only one that belongs there. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's Jesus. That's it. The kid in math class that bounced out too early missed the core lesson from class. Likewise, too many people leave oppressive situations too fast before learning what hope is all about by before they even learn what God is trying to teach them in that situation. When oppression and that weight is happening, are we learning where our weight belongs, where our foundation needs to be firmly planted, or do we just get beaten up enough to where we say, you know what, I'm out. I'm quitting on this. I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to do this for a while. Too many people run from situations before they ever learn what they're supposed to learn. Right? Stop running and start learning. Stop running and start learning. Number two, hope is in recession. What I mean by that is I understand recession is economic downturn. But in the story of, of Job, he's in this place where this whole sermon series, Can't Cancel Hope, is we're looking at different characters who are in despair or cut off or alone or just in tough situations where it feels like hope can be lost. And in this this recession idea, right, the definition of recession is is sharp downturn of uh, economics, right, or financial, wait, sorry, I have it written down. Recession is a significant decline in the economy. There we go. But I want to play off the word and look at Job's life. He had more than just a sharp financial downturn. He had a sharp everything downturn. So picking up the story in Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, says this, at this, comma. If you don't know the story of Job, the words at this is referring to what just happened. What just happened is his entire family died. 
All his money was lost. All his land was lost. Everything was destroyed that belongs to Job. Everything that he had. The only thing that's left is him. Because that's what God said that Satan could leave alone. Job lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his family. He lost his economy. He lo- everything is gone. The word recession doesn't even do justice to what Job is feeling. His recession is, is a dip or a blip in the financial economy world. I want to look at that word as a recession of what's happening in Job's life, of everything has hit rock bottom in his life. Everything has gone down. Everything has lowered. Everything is just hits him all at once. All the reports are given to him at right there. And then it picks it up in this verse and says, at this, at hearing everything, at feeling everything, at, at everything coming upon him, this is his response. Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. The thing that Satan wanted, he did not get. Because Job had first and foremost placed his hope on God. If his hope was on the harvest he was going to reap, if his hope was on the children he could give the inheritance to and carry on his namesake, he would have been lost. Instead, Job's heart, his hope was fully on God. And his response just blows my mind. So in in recession, in recession, when everything's twirling down, in particular Job's story, when everything is, is trending abruptly straight down in horrific situation and news, he rips his clothes, shaves his hair, and then worships God. Just let that sink in for a moment. It's, it's not wrong to grieve from loss. That's actually very healthy. It's not wrong to grieve from loss. It is wrong to accuse God of your loss. That's where things kind of get tricky. That's where they get muddled up. That's what the Bible straight up calls sin. When you accuse God of what you lost. And don't forget, that's what Satan wanted to happen. Satan's desire is for you to accuse God of what you lose. That's crazy. And it seems so subtle and so small. And that's what this entire book is on about. Satan trying to make Job accuse God for what he's lost. That's crazy. 
Because Satan is labeled as the accuser and wishes that you would blame God too. See, if Satan's the accuser, his ideal is that you would accuse God also. As Satan is busy accusing you and saying, you're bad, you're wicked, you've sinned, you don't belong in church, you don't do this, you don't do that. And Satan's busy trying to accuse you. His end goal is for you to receive that as who you are and then accuse God. That's, that's the direction. That's this boomerang effect that Satan's trying to do. He's trying to convince you of the lies about yourself are true so that ultimately you turn around and throw them on God. Satan is messed up. That is the sneakiest, craziest thing. And we can't fall for it. Job didn't blame God here. He tore his robe and shaved his head and worshiped God. You can't control what you lose, but you can control your response. You can't control what you lose, but you can control what you respond. You can control what you say, what you do. That's what you're in control of. It's not what comes into your life and out of your life. It's how you respond to it. I love this because Job, he, he rips his robe, his mantle, his outward garment. And we've talked about this a lot in the past of the church. This represents and embodies his identity. It's his ethnicity, his wealth, his land ownership, his family that it belongs to. It's the entire identity of who he is wrapped up in where he lives. This robe represents everything he just lost because it stands for family and land and where he lives. And so he tears it in openly showing the world that he's grieving. And it's a custom to tear your robe in that area. It's saying, look, I am grieving. You can see that I'm hurting, right? And then he shaves his, his hair, his head and his beard. And it's another outward sign saying, I am grieving. Everything in me is hurting. And then he worships God. He does these three things, tears his mantle, shaves everything, and then worships God. There's one thing that's in common with all three of these. And that's openness. That's public. That's what's in common. He is publicly grieving where people can see it. And he's publicly worshiping God where people can see it. And I think this is, this is a trap that we fall into because it's, it's kind of subtle. Again, a lot of these are really subtle things that, that kind of trick us away from having hope in Jesus. It's the fact that we can condition our minds to think, you know what? I don't know if it's okay that people know that I'm hurting because what will they think about me? And it's like we, you know, it's like we try to hold it within us and we feel like we're dying on the inside with a smile on the outside. That's actually opposite of what's happening in the story. See, Job is, is willing to share his grief with anyone who sees. The rest of the book of Job, we don't have time to dive into today but i want to encourage you to read it his friends start coming up and having dialogues with him because they know they're hurting because they can see him hurting 
too many times in church, it's easy to sweep our hurts under the rug because we don't want other people, you know, feeling guilty or hurting or we don't know. Everyone has a different excuse of what they make up in their minds of maybe I can't share my grief because what will people think or do or say or, or will, what will happen? In reality, it's, it's okay to grieve and publicly grieve. But don't miss out. That is only half of what happens here. Mm-hmm. Publicly grieving is okay. But publicly worshiping is important. Mm-hmm. See, in, in his loss, in his hurt, in everything that's going on right now, he just received, it says, at this, receive the news that everyone is dead and all his land and all this and, our, you know, everything. Everything is gone. He grieves and he worships. And he does it publicly. Because there's something about public worship. Like, I, I love worshiping in quiet and silence and aloneness, but I also love worshiping publicly. Because when we worship publicly, we're not only solidifying our faith to ourselves, we're solidifying our faith to others, and we're solidifying our hope in Jesus to the devil. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know you came to steal, kill, and destroy, but don't even think you got to me. I'm still going to worship my God. Yeah. And that's, that's the frustration that is thrown on the devil. There is hope in recession. And that hope is found by worship. Hope is, hope is found in recession when we worship. One thing that we do in our church and we started doing recently is we, one of our mottos is doing life together. It's one of the pillars of our church. And during the message, what I really love that we do is we do life together in the comments. We do life together in the replies and in the messaging. And, and I have a question that I want to throw out there and for you to answer in the comments. But it's not just good enough to jump to the comments, drop a comment, and bounce back out engage in community, right? If you see someone else reply, reply back to them and and really have this dialogue. And if you don't have enough time, circle back on Facebook or YouTube or wherever and and post up your comment there. So question today, doing life in the comments, is can you list out different ways you worship God? Different ways you worship God. Maybe encourage someone today, if there's a creative or artistic way that you worship God, whether it's publicly or privately or however you do it, can you share it down below today in in the comments? So message is not over. Drop in the comments now and we'll catch back up in a moment. Welcome back. We're going to jump into number three. Hope is in depression. Hope is in depression. This seems like a juxtaposition statement, right? Because they're so opposite. How can you have hope when you feel depressed? And if you feel depressed, how can you gain hope? You know, hope is in depression. Again, these are classroom statements. If you're, if life throws you situations and frustrations, how can you take it as a classroom moment and pass? How can you learn from it? How can you grab hope in depression? How can you grab hope when things feel utterly lost? So going back, I want to read the scripture one more time. Job chapter one, verse 20 says this, at this comma, we already talked about that. 
Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now in the first sentence, I talked about tearing the robe, shaving, and then worshiping. But it's actually two more action items that happen. And they're, they're, they're like so small in there. So when we're in the classroom, the session, the test that is depression, there are two critical things that we need to do. And it's very subtle. It's very small. First thing that Job did was get up. That was his posture. When things feel hopeless, like they're not going to move forward and there's no way out, the first thing you need to do is get up. Do not stay in your apartment or your home or your car or wherever you're listening to this and hope that that situation just passes you by or you run away from it. The first thing you need to do is get up. Job received what he received and got up. Picture where he's at. Job was sitting down, maybe eating, maybe enjoying whatever. He was sitting down somewhere and a a servant ran in and gave him a letter saying, so-and-so is dead. Another servant said, this is done. The house has fallen in and blah, blah, blah. And he's sitting there and he could have just fallen over. He could have just stayed there. His head could have slumped forward. He could have just started crying. It says he got up. You know what this represents? When we're completely surrounded by the depression and completely surrounded by everything else that's swarming in on us, compacting us, trying to pressure us to stay still, stay stagnant and not move forward, the best thing we can do is get up best thing you can do is take action. The best thing you can do is position yourself for next steps in your life. No runner has ever gone to the Olympics and stood at the beginning thing going, okay, when is the thing going to happen? Let me just sit on the ground. No, they position themselves. They get up and position themselves to start taking steps. You cannot take steps. You cannot move forward until you get up. Get up. You have to get out of it. You have to sit there. When things crash in, just get up. Saying, no, not today. As this is falling on me, as this is trying to weigh me down, I rebuke this and I'm going to position myself to move forward and take my steps. I'm going to learn what God is trying to teach me and I'm going to take that and move forward. Get up. And then, This is the best part. says, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his hair, ready, fell to the ground in worship. This, This moment of Paul getting up so that he could grieve, properly grieve, and then fall on his face to properly worship. 
here's what I want to what I want to illustrate and bring out. Getting up represents leaving the the despair and the emotional thought of where you're at. And then falling down represents falling down at the feet of Jesus. It's a positioning. How we find hope in depression is by positioning ourselves away from the thoughts and the life and everything that's weighing on us and positioning ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Get up out of your despair so that you can fall down at the feet of Jesus. It's a repositioning. It's a different posturing. It's different. You might only move one foot, but you took a step. You took a next step. Get up out of the mental state you're in and throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Because you are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually saying, I am positioning myself at what belongs and holds my hope. Everything else around me that's crumbling away and dying and I'm losing and all of this does not contain my hope. And I'm going to fall at the feet of the one that does, whose name is Jesus. We find hope. In de- hope is in depression through our position to Jesus. One more time. Hope is in depression through our position to Jesus. Hope is found in oppression, recession, and depression. And there's all these things that the enemy wants to throw at us, right? All these, all these classroom effects, all these moments where he's like, yes, this, this will destroy him, and this recession, and this oppression by weighing down, and, and this depression. Maybe I can make them just stay in their house and never leave, because if they get with other believers, then they'll be fired up, and I won't be able to hold on to them anymore. But, but something might still feel off. Something might still feel wrong, right? Something might still be there inside of your heart where you're frustrated or you're angry or you're hurting or something else is going on. And you're saying, that's not that easy. I can't just get up. I can't just fall at the feet of Jesus. I can't just put my hope on Jesus and it's all good. I have this thing. It's, it's not, I'm, I can't move forward. And the the beauty of Job's story, fast forward a lot of dialogue in, in this. See, God questions Job. He has this laundry list of questions, but I only want to look at one question. See, God questions Job in Job chapter 40, verse 2. This is God speaking to Job. He says, Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Oh my gosh. 
will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you're right? That statement is so powerful. Will you discredit Jesus because of the justice that's happened on this earth? Just to prove that the emotions you feel are right? Just to justify who you are and what you think and what you do? Will you discredit Jesus to make what you're doing right? And it's powerful because this arcs into so many subjects and so much understanding. But at the base of it, God is full on questioning Job and saying, where's your hope? What's going on? And then Job replies, I don't know what I would say to God other than this response. I wouldn't be as eloquent because Job has a way with his words. I, man, can you imagine facing God and he just point blank questions you? And he's like, I am demanding a response because God starts off by saying, and I expect you to answer, expect you to reply. So Job says in, in Job chapter 42, verse five through six, my, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's so powerful. See, I, I heard it before. I, I heard what you're saying. I heard what was going on, but now I'm seeing it. In other words, you know what? I've heard this my whole life and I'm hearing what you're saying, but now I see, I understand why you were saying it. And because of that, I repent. I am sorry. Please forgive me. The reason why Job was able to reclaim hope in all these situations was because he had a repentant heart. And if you feel like you're not able to place your hope fully on Jesus, it might be because you haven't repented to Jesus. If you feel like Jesus is a bad guy towards you or is angry at you or hurt at you or mad at you or whatever, it might be because you're holding on to something that you need to repent. That you need to just own up and confront Jesus with and say, you know what, God, you need to take this. I repent. I am sorry. You're all my hope. This, this week, I, I, I want to challenge you for your next steps to be find something to repent to Jesus about. Find something to repent to Jesus about. Maybe it's small, maybe it's big, maybe it's something big that you think is small. Who knows? But I want to challenge you to activate who Jesus is as Lord of your life and, and to really seek out forgiveness and say, God, I want to search my heart and this area I want to repent for. Just like Job, Job repented. And I, let's be like Job this week. Maybe, I mean, it could be even one of the three things we talked about. Maybe it's just misplacing your hope on stuff that you need to repent about, right? You place the hope not on Jesus, but other stuff, and you need to repent about that. Maybe, maybe it's a lack of worship, and you need to repent about that. Maybe it's, it's falling, 
Maybe it's failing to position yourself at the foot of Jesus. And you need to repent of that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's someone that you hurt or you wronged or whatever, but you need to repent. I dare you, I challenge you, your next steps this week is to identify how to repent to Jesus because all of a sudden hope will start flooding in in all the areas of your life. And it feels like it's being blocked or you don't feel the hope of Jesus. It might be because there's unforgiveness in your life about something. I took a real hard right turn on this message that the way for hope is through Jesus. And Jesus came to die and raise again for our sins, our love, our, our reconnection between us and the Father. And it starts with repenting. So don't be like that kid jumping out the window at the math class one week before school's out. Don't be that person that you're so close to getting past in this one test that you're willing to bail and jump out the window before you just get it. You're so close. Receive what God is speaking to you about. Hear what it is and move forward in your life. Fully trust God in your hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Lord, thank you for speaking to us through the book of Job. Lord, let us fully place our hope on you. If there's anything in our lives that you need to point out that we can be repented of, that we have been placing our hope in the wrong area or whatever is going on, I pray that the Holy Spirit, you would infill all of us this week and point those areas out. That we would place hope in the right place, which is you, Jesus. In your mighty name, amen. You know, heading uh, into that time of worship was just so special after hearing the message and the word of just taking those moments of worship to really use worship as our, it's our biggest weapon against the enemy. Um, So be reminded of that this week as you take that time to worship the Lord, to come before his presence, know that you're, you're actively fighting the enemy in your life. Um, So don't, don't ever take those worship times for granted because they are so good and so powerful against what the enemy is trying, his, his feeble attempts um, to, you know, it's the best weapon we have against him. Um, so as we head into our time of tithe and offering, uh, you can give online at lighthouse805.com. And uh, as you're there, you can also designate funds for kids ministry. And we are well on our way um, to reaching our goal. And that is so exciting. So we just want to say a huge thank you. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for um, giving into our kids, our kids' lives, into their future, into their um their space to worship Jesus into their church, you know, like it's just going to be so good. We're so excited for that. And speaking of kids, uh, make sure you are keeping an eye out for those loot boxes. They're coming around. They're making their way around um, the city to to your homes. And so just keep an eye out for those. They're fun surprises for the kids. They're they're just going to love and be so excited about. Um, Kids camp has been incredible this weekend. It started on Thursday. And if you've been uh, checking in and logging in on, on those sessions, they've been so good. And it's been so fun to see yeah. our kids yeah. um, interact and just really have such a good time. So if you took any pictures of your kids doing any of the breakout sessions, um, make sure you post them and you tag us at Lighthouse805. Um, and we, we want to see what your kids were doing. We want to see that excitement and joy that they had and what they were doing this last weekend. And tonight is actually the closing service. Um, so you can always log on and check that out to have that, um, 
that last worship night and last yeah. service time that they get to have together. It's been so good. Um, and then next, make sure you are on our newsletter uh, list so that you can be getting that weekly newsletter so you can know of all the upcoming um, things that we get to do virtually, but they're still really good, like our communion nights, which are the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, we do family communion together. We, we virtually come together and just break bread and spend time with each other just talking and sharing and praying um, and doing communion together. So that's always like a really sweet family time for, for all of us. So with that, enjoy your Sunday. Have a great and beautiful day. Stay safe and we love you and we miss you so much. <laughs> God bless.